Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts now 15 weeks. And uh, we didn't didn't have church last week, so we're going to have church today. Is that good? And uh, last time we were in Acts, we were in Acts chapter 8, and we said persecution started coming to the church, and it was the first time that um, the people are spreading, and it started with Stephen. Stephen was martyred. He was murdered. We see Saul come on the scene, and Saul is persecuting Christians, and he comes, and uh, all these Christians spread. You remember Acts 1-8 tells us to go. And to the uttermost parts of the earth and Judea and Samaria, well, up to this part that we, the church had never been in Judea and Samaria, but all of a sudden persecution comes and they go to Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapter five tells us that Philip, Philip the evangelist goes to Samaria and he begins proclaiming Christ to the, the Jews who were scattered and the local Samaritans. So I just want you to see this before I jump into our text for today. In Acts chapter eight, Jews and Samaritans are worshiping together. Now remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They, they were different ethnicities. They were different socioeconomic backgrounds. They had different political ideologies. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 7, I told you this two weeks ago, for the first time in history, Jews and Samaritans came together in the name of Christ, and the city was healed and full of joy. Jews and Samaritans came together in the name of Christ, and the city was healed and full of joy. They came together, and all throughout the book of Acts, you see Christians coming together. Thirteen times it says they were in one accord. They're, they're coming together under one banner. It wasn't their socioeconomic banner. It wasn't their political ideology banner. It wasn't their skin pigmentation banner. They came together in the name of Christ. And something happens, church. When we come together in the name of Christ, something happen, Something happens when we're in one accord. Maybe that's why the devil don't like it. Maybe that's why the devil keeps doing everything he can to divide us. My friend Kevin Wallace said it this way. He says, if you want to know if attack is demonic or not, watch it because it'll keep moving. You, you know how I know that division in the church is demonic? Because it keeps moving. Because at the beginning of last year, it was black and white. Then it moved to Republican and Democrat. Now it's vaccinated or unvaccinated. Next year, it's going to be something else. Do y'all see what the devil is doing? He's got us mad at each other. He's got us arguing with one another. He's got us hollering at each other on Facebook. We don't trust one another and we don't love one another. And you don't love me because you didn't get vaccinated and you don't trust God because you didn't. We're coming together under the wrong thing. And so in Acts chapter 8, they come together in the name of Christ. And something happens, something powerful happens when they come together. Revival broke out. Revival broke out. And the whole city, the Bible says, was full of joy. They came together in the name of Christ. Salvations were happening. They were getting saved by the masses. There were baptisms. There were signs and wonders, miracles and healings. And the guy that brings it there is a guy named Philip. And I just want to read just a little bit more about Philip this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look on the screen. Every note that's in front of me will be on the screen. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. 
want to read you about six verses this morning. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that ascends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how could I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. I want to read verse 26 one more time. Verse 26 says this, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, say these words with me, get up and go, get up and go. I want to preach a message to you this morning simply entitled, get up and go. Get up and go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. Lord, it's your word that changes us. It's your word that transforms us. It's what we need today in our culture. It's what we need in this church, in our community. We need the word of God to speak to us. So come, Lord, would you come and speak to us today? Would you come and inhabit the praises of your people? And Lord, as you speak to us, would you open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive? And may we never be the same in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Get up and go. Get up and go. I don't think there are any words that can describe the mission and the responsibility of believers better than these four words to to get up and go. Get up and go speaks to, to movement. It speaks to clarity. It speaks to mission. Get up and go speaks to obedience. In fact, if you can summarize fruitful Christian living in one word, I think that one word would be the word obedience. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a, it's a desert road. We're in South Louisiana, we say it's a back road. It's a, it's a dirt road. It's a, it's a gravel road. I want you to see this that the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Philip with specific instructions. Philip is in Samaria. He's preaching, and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Philip, and he tells him two things. He says, leave Samaria and get up and go to the desert. I want to focus then on the response of Philip. In verse 26, it says, the Spirit of the Lord said, get up and go. If you look at verse 27, the very next verse, it says, So he got up and went. There's no pause. It's not seven chapters later. It's not, wait a minute, let me pray about it. He said, get up and go. So he got up and went. He didn't call all of his friends. He didn't take a consensus. He didn't say, should I do this? I'm praying about it. He didn't get on Facebook and post about it. The spirit of the Lord said, get up and go. So he got up and went. I want you to see that what God asked him to do, he does. No rebuttals, no questions. He just gets up and he goes. And here is what I want to key in today. God speaks to him and then he responds. Verse 26 and verse 27 speaks to us, if you can write this thought down, about the importance of hearing God and acting accordingly. Hearing God and acting accordingly. Today I believe God's desire is for every believer to hear him. I believe God wants to speak to us. He wants to 
tell you things. He wants to show you things, but he also wants you to act accordingly. How many, how many of your parents understand that? That as a parent, uh, I speak to my kids, you speak to your kids, but you want your kids to act appropriately, act accordingly. That when you say something, when you speak something to them, you want them to respond appropriately. I'll tell my kids things like, clean your room. And they don't clean the room. And I will ask this question. Son, did you hear me? I heard you. I just didn't do it. Okay, so it's not good enough just to hear what God says to do. How many of you understand we have to act accordingly? So how do we do that? I want to give two questions really quick uh, of how we do this. Number one, here's two questions to ask yourself. Number one, am I hearing the word of God and acting accordingly? Everybody say the word of God. Am I hearing the word of God, the written word? It's God's love letter to the church. It's the Bible. It's scripture. Am I hearing the word of God and acting accordingly? How many understand that God's word is full of commands? It's full of wisdom. It's full of do's and don'ts. It tells us how to live. It tells us how to love. It tells us how to give, how to forgive, how to surrender, how to move on, what to do, what not to do. It's called the written word of God. But how many understand it's not just enough for us to come to church and hear the word of God. We have to act accordingly and do what it says. It's what James says. James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You got to do what it says. I believe our problem in the church is not hearing the word of God. You hear the word of God every week. We, we, we have more access to podcasts, to Bibles on demand, to, to, to apps. You can hear the word. Our problem in the church is never hearing the word. Our problem has always been doing the word. So we have an information surplus with an application deficit. We know what to do. We just don't do it. It's, it's hearing the word of God and then acting or living Accordingly, I read this statistic this week. Uh, George Barna, who has Barna Research, came out with a statistic. Maybe you've seen it. And he said this there's 68% of Americans profess to be Christians. Only 6% of those 68 actually live according to the Word of God. That's crazy. So, so I, I love this image that James gives when he says, you know, you, you, you can't just hear it, you got to do it. If you keep reading the next verse, it says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Now, I'll wake up some days and I want to forget what I look like. But James says the, the word of God is a mirror, a mirror, not a window. A mirror. See, when I look out a window, I see everybody else. I see what everybody else is doing. But when I look in the mirror, it actually reflects who I am. And the problem as a church is we've been preaching out the window, telling everybody else what they're doing wrong, and we've never taken the time to wake up and look in front of yourself and say, wait a minute, my hair ain't dead. My skin ain't looking good. I got to take care of myself. Maybe that's why Jesus says, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye. Get the plank out of yours. We got to quit treating the word of God as an assault rifle on everybody. Look at them over there. Look at them. No, no, you got to look at yourself, boo. You got to take a look inward. It's a mirror. Then if you get yourself fixed up right, then maybe you can talk to somebody else. We've been looking out the, the window. So am I hearing the word and then am I responding or acting 
accordingly? Am I living according to the word of God? When it comes to my thought life, am I living according to the word of God? When it comes to my sexuality, am I living according to the word of God? When it comes to giving, am I living according to the word of God? When it comes to forgiving others, am I living according to the word of God? And the answer is no, you got to repent. We got to repent. We got to turn from our sins. So the, the first question is, is am, am I hearing the word of God and acting accordingly? And here's the second question, which is equally important. Write this down. Am I hearing the spirit? of God and acting according. So everybody say word of God, spirit of God. Well, isn't that the same thing? Well, in one sense it is because it's the spirit of God that inspired men to write the word of God to give us instruction for living, but that same spirit of God lives on the inside of you to give you specific instructions for your life. So I want you to think about this. Everybody say word of God. I want you to think about the word of God as the manual. It's the manual. If you can, you can take any manual you want. It's the, the how-to. I just picked one I found online. It's called, let's put it on the screen. It's called the Yacht Owner's Manual. Now, I picked this book because I know absolutely nothing about yachts. But I, but I read a couple of pages. It will tell you everything you need to know for successful sailing. Then you get to page six. And it says these words on page six. Before hoisting the sail... Be sure you know the direction of the wind as to put the rigging in the proper position to avoid capsizing. So watch this. The manual will tell you to check the wind, but you got to get on the lake and feel where the wind is blowing to know which direction it's coming from. Are you, are you, are you following with me? Which means you can know everything that the manual says, but if you have the inability to feel the wind, you ain't going nowhere. Okay. To reach your destination on a yacht and in life, you will need to know how to read the manual and how to read the wind. In your Christian walk, the word of God is the manual. The spirit of the God of God is the wind. Let me tell you how they work together. There are some specifics in your life not specifically defined by his word, so you have to hear his spirit. Can I I just give you some examples? The word of God will say, go and be my witness. The spirit of God will prompt you, go and talk to him. Are you tracking with me? The word of God will say, give sacrificially, be a cheerful giver. But the Spirit of God will tell you when to give, how much to give, and where to give. The Word of God will tell you walk by faith. The Spirit of God will tell you which direction to go. So, so you, need, you need to know the Word of God, but you need to be in tune to the Spirit of God. The Word of God will say go to the othermost parts of the earth. The Spirit of God tells Philip, get up and go south to the desert. Take the dusty road. Take the back road. See, the word of God is always telling us how to live, but the spirit of God is always telling us what's next. Somebody say, what's next? I, I love when Makisha just told that story. She said, I was homeless, but I just did what's next. How'd she get up on this stage today? She didn't go from homeless to the stage. She just did what's next. 
As believers, we should always be asking the Holy Spirit, what's next? When Jesus left us in Acts chapter 1, he says, I'm sending you a helper. He's a, he's a tour guide. He is the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm left you, but you have something on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit, and he wants to guide you. He is the, the paraclete. So my question is today, what is the Holy Spirit asking me to do? Am I relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit? What's next? Everybody say, what's next? Philip has a what's next moment. Now, we, we don't know a whole lot about Philip. We're not introduced to Philip till Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6. We know he was a Greek. We know that at some point he was, what's next for him was to take care of the widows. He was one of the, the seven Greek men assigned by the apostles to go and take care of the widows. So that's what was Next, and so he was chosen. We know in Acts chapter 8, what's next for him was to, to go to Samaria. When, when, when uh, all the Christians scatter, it says Philip went to Samaria to preach. We know that's what's next. And while he's in Samaria, we know what's next is to go down the, dirt, the, the desert road. So what's next? Everybody in this room has a what's next. You don't get to a specific spot in Christianity and say, hey, man, it's the last level. This ain't Fortnite, y'all. You, you, don't, you don't reach the last level and you're done. You, you, you don't beat the game. There's always a next level. There's always a next step. There's always a next place. And if you don't even know where to start, I'm so glad Makisha told you today, after our 11 o'clock service today, we have a next step orientation just to point you in the right direction. All you got to do is show up. We're going to help you unpack what's next for you. And what's next for you is what different from, than what's next for me. We want you to find what's your next and so 11, after the 11 o'clock service, we'll have lunch provided for you. Just go to the kids' wing. We'll take care of you. But, but here's why most people don't do what's next, because what's next will stretch you. What's next will cost you. Sometimes what's next don't even make sense. What's next ain't always logical. Sometimes it's even scary. Watch this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Y'all, this is back roads. This makes Canton look like New York City. Get up and go. Remember where Philip is. Does anybody remember where Philip is? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He's in a town called, Remember? So, Samaria, what's happening in Samaria? Revival, miracles, signs and wonders, thousands and thousands of people. And the spirit of the Lord says, leave revival, Philip, and go to the desert. I'd have been like, hold up, swole up. You only leave here. And go to the desert. I'm good. I, I, I already listened to you once. I came here. You told me. No, no. He says, get up and leave. And Philip doesn't ask a single question. He says, yes, sir. And he gets up and he goes. Listen to me. When God says go, we must go. When he says obey, we must obey. And the reason I believe most people don't go when God says go 
or most people don't obey when God says obey is because they're thinking of their future. Why? Because obedience often doesn't fit in the plan for my life. We'll go over there. Well, I don't want to go over there. Why not? Because that's not the direction I want to go. I got a spot over here, God, I want to end up. What I don't realize is that God doesn't allow me to go straight ways. Some way the, sometimes the only way I can get over here is to go over there. So God says, go, well, well God, if I do that, it's going to cost me. It doesn't make sense. I, I've been working at this job all these years. I got like great benefits of it. God says, go, go do this job. No, I don't want to do that job. Why? Because we're thinking of the future. Well, if I do that, then it's going to affect me in this way. If I go to the desert, then I'm going to have to leave the revival in Samaria. I want to read you this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Here's what she says. She says, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events in scripture, depending on one person's seemingly small act of obedience, rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend on it. You will be shown what to do next. What does that mean? I'm only responsible for my next step. I can't be thinking about 10 years down the line. If God says do it today, I got to do it. I got to trust them. I got to obey. Why? You, you, you can't play the what if game. You can't play, well, if I do that and this is going to happen. No, no, you just got to do what's next. And that's what God does for Philip and Philip obeys. It, look, look at this. It says, in verse 27, it says, so he got up and went and there was, I, I like those words. Listen to me. When God speaks and you go, there, there's always something waiting for you. So God, he got up and went, and there was something waiting for him. It was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. So the Spirit of the Lord tells Philip, get up and go. And when he gets there, there was something waiting on him. This, this, this happens to be a man. This man was from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch, which means he was a castrated male. He was also a court official, a treasurer. For the queen of the Ethiopians, Candace. Now, Candace was not her name. Candace was her title. It just simply meant queen mother. So this is the, the guy that's taking care of all the affairs for the queen mother of all of Ethiopia. This now explains to us why he was a eunuch. So to ensure that the queen mother would not be tempted to have sexual relations with others in the palace, producing offspring that would set up another dynasty, the men that worked close to the queen mother would be castrated to protect the bloodline of the queen. Y'all understand that? How many men you're glad you didn't have that job? Okay. So Philip is led to the desert and he meets an Ethiopian eunuch that had traveled hundreds of miles to worship in Jerusalem. So we pick it back up in verse 28. It says the Ethiopian eunuch was returning. Where was he returning from? He was returning from Jerusalem and he was sitting in a chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now we're about to see the reason why God tells Philip to leave Samaria to go to the desert. Listen to what Luke tells us. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord said, Get up and join this chariot. So watch this. Step one, he's in Samaria. Get up and go south. He doesn't give him step two. He doesn't give him step three. He doesn't give him step four. He gives them no details. He just says, go to the desert. He gets to the desert. 
Now what? Well, he gets to the desert and it says the words again. Then the spirit of the Lord said to Philip. So watch this. He completes step one. Then he gives him step two. Go up and join his chariot. You can't get to step two unless you did step one. It's been my experience and the pattern in scripture that God uses progressions in our life to get us where he wants us. You can't get to step six if you ain't got to step one yet. You can't go to high school if you ain't completed fifth grade. How many understand that? So God says, do this, then once you do that, I'll tell you where to go next. But I want step six. Do step one. I don't want to do step one when you ain't getting to step six. So when, when, we, when he does step one, then he shows them step two. When he shows them step two, watch this. When he shows them step one, he says, get up and go. It says, so he went. I think something happened in the mind of Philip to say, if God speaks to me again, he obviously led me here. So watch this. Get up and go. He, get, he, he gets up and he, and, and he went. When he says, get up and go to, to the chariot, look at this. Now Philip just didn't go. Philip ran. Oh, man, this stuff works. Obedience works. So he ran and he heard him. And he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how could I unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now watch this. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't get embarrassed or prideful about it. Instead, he invited Philip to come and sit with him. What an act of hunger and humility. Say, man, I don't understand this Christianity thing. Can you just come and sit down and explain it to me? Can you open up your Bible? Can you even tell me what this means? Listen to me. For those of you who are new in your faith and don't understand anything, write this down. Here's my question. Have you invited someone in your life to help you on your journey? Hey, bro, I don't know what this means. Can I help you out? When I got saved 21 years ago, I didn't know what it meant either. But I had somebody sit with me and say, here's what this scripture means. Here's how you pray. Here's what it means to be a disciple. Here's what it means to worship. Here's what it means to give. When God says this, here's what it means. You need to invite someone in yourself. See, the, the, the eunuch's next step was just to invite someone in. Help me. Explain to me. Disciple me. It starts with an invitation. And if you're not inviting someone in, it's probably because you either don't care or you're too prideful to ask. Somebody told me a while back, man, nobody at this church will help me. I said, well, who have you asked? Nobody. <laughs> you have to invite them in. And I'm so thankful, y'all, that our church is full of people who will gladly climb up inside your chariot and sit down with you and say, let me help a brother out. Now, on the other side, for those of you who are like me and have been at this thing for a while, have you made yourself available to help others out on their journey? Are you doing for others what somebody did for you? Are they calling you, hey, man, can, oh, I ain't got time. When they invite you into their chariot, into their home, to lunch, answering the phone call, the text, are you responding? See, Philip's next step was simply to climb in the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot and make time for him. What am I saying? One of your greatest abilities as a Christian is simply your availability. Just make yourself available. That's all you got. Here I am. Here I am. 
That, that's what the prophet Isaiah said when, when the Lord said, is there anybody willing to go and preach repentance? King Uzziah just died. Is there anybody willing to go? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. I don't even know what the, what, 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 what the details look like. Just send me. And I think God's asking us, hey, there's a lost and dying world out there. There's people all over St. Landry Parish that don't know Jesus. There's people that need to be discipled. There's people that need to be prayed for and witnessed to. Is there anybody in O-Town today that, that is willing? I think it's just, a, here I am. I don't know all the details, Lord, but send me. Send me. So Philip makes himself available and he climbs up in the chariot. And it says he starts reading the scriptures with them. And here's the passage. He says, now the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his, gen- his uh, generation for his life is removed from earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then I love verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now we know why Philip went to the desert. Philip went to the desert to preach Jesus to an Ethiopian eunuch. And in this moment, the eunuch goes from confusion to clarity. He goes from being literally cut off to being grafted into the family of God. Why? Because one man was willing to leave the comforts of Samaria and go to the desert, and the Ethiopian eunuch meets Jesus. He meets Jesus. Now watch this. This is only the acute effects, okay? Oh, he meets Jesus. That's great. Uh, Amazing. Congratulations, Mr. Eunuch. You you met Jesus. There's people that meet Jesus all the time. What what we don't really know is the the long-term implications of what happened when this man received the gospel. Because remember who this guy is. This guy was the right-hand man of the queen mother. So Some scholars believe, because at this point in history, the gospel didn't reach Ethiopia, but we read historical accounts that later on, revival breaks out in Ethiopia. Some scholars believe that this Ethiopian eunuch, who was over the court affairs, the court official, who had proximity to the queen mother and the king, went back to the palace and started preaching Jesus to the queen. All of a sudden, the queen tells the king, and all of a, somewhere down the line, revival breaks out in Ethiopia. Now, I can't prove that, but my question is, you, or my statement is, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know what God's going to do when he says go and you go. You, you may only see the Ethiopian eunuch. That will be the only time you ever see him in his life. But you have no idea the story. You have no idea the families that are saved and the people that come to Christ because of one act of your obedience. See, we never really know. And they, they continue. He leads them to Jesus. And look at this. Verse 36. They traveled along, so they're literally taking next steps. Okay, okay they keep moving down the road. Then they come to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. I love, this, I love this dude's attitude. What can stand in my way from being baptized? What can stand in my way? Now, my question is, well, how did he even know to be baptized? I have no idea. I, I'm not sure if he went to Jerusalem and heard them preaching, and he heard them say things like, repent and be baptized. Or if somewhere along the way, Philip just told him that that, that was his next step. All he knew was this was the next step that the Lord is speaking to me. There's water. Somebody better baptize me right now. I'm going to dunk myself. What can stop me? And then it says this, that the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. 
and Philip baptized them. What can stand in my way? What can stand in my way? Vic, help me out. Team, help me out. The Ethiopian eunuch, all he knew was that baptism was his next step. Why? Because baptism always comes after repentance. It always comes after salvation. Now, that wasn't the way I was baptized. Y'all, when I was, I, I got baptized when I was one month old. Priest dunked me somewhere. I got pictures. It's 1978. I, I'm getting, I don't remember. But here's my question. If Acts tells us this, Peter replied, repent, then be baptized, every one of you. It goes to tell me that baptism always comes after repentance. Well, y'all, when I was a baby, I couldn't repent. I probably needed to repent. I screamed. My mama said I had colic for like 17 years. What, what, what am I saying? Baptism always comes after repentance. See, biblical baptism doesn't come after the first birth. It comes after the second birth. It's your wedding announcement. Me and Rachel, two weeks ago, we, set up, we, we, we celebrated 18 years of marriage. I remember the day after we got married, my mom and dad sent me the, uh, uh, yeah, we made it. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody said, man, 18 year, good years. Like, at least 10 of them were good. That's what Rachel said. I think all 18 were good. I remember we have a newspaper article or clipping. It says wedding announcement is a picture of me and Rachel last night, August 9th, 2003. Nick Carroll and Rachel Daniel got married. It's me telling them, hey, y'all, I did good. Look at her. Why? Because when something like that significant happens, you have to tell everybody. Baptism is your wedding announcement. It doesn't make you more married. It just tells everybody, hey, y'all, I couldn't have done any better. I married Jesus. Jesus is the lover of my life. He saved my soul. So it always comes after repentance and salvation. It doesn't happen after the first birth. It happens after the second birth. In fact, nowhere in Scripture do you see an unbaptized Christian. What, what, what am I saying today? In just a moment, some of you, you you're, you're going to get baptized. They're going to open up this curtain over there, and we're, we're going to baptize people. Why? Because it's their next step. But here's my question for everybody in this place. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What, what is your next step? See, everybody in this room, we have a different next step. For Philip, the evangelist, it was to leave the desert. For the Ethiopian eunuch, the new convert, it was It was baptism. And so it doesn't matter who you are today or where you are on this journey, if this is day one or year 50, until you breathe your last breath, there's always a next step. And whatever your next step is, my, here's, just get up and go. Just get up and do it. I don't know about, if God said it, do it. That's where you got to be in so in tune to the Holy Spirit. Man, the Holy Spirit will save you some heartache. This ain't even in my notes, okay? Before you press enter on your Instagram account or Facebook, just do this. Holy Spirit, should I send this or should I press delete? I've posted some stuff in the past. 
that wasn't Holy Spirit inspired. It was flesh inspired. I wish I would have listened on the front side. He wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. He'll lead you. He'll convict you, but he'll show you what's next. He'll point out people you need to talk to. He'll point out your next step with your job. He'll tell you where to move. He'll tell you where to talk to. He'll open doors that no one can open. He'll shut doors that no one can shut. But you have to be in tune. See, it's today is just saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? Who, where, where, who, who, what, what, whatever it is. For some of you, your next step is simply salvation. It's your first step. You got to invite Jesus into your heart. And you're feeling it right now, man. Your heart's beating out of your chest. That's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. He's pointing you to Jesus right now that you hear the word and you respond accordingly. For some of you, you just need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. That is your next step. And I'm, I'm with every head bowed and every eye closed. Right now, nobody's looking but me. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, if there is sin in your life, There's sin in all of our lives, but if there's unrepentant sin and you've never made him the Lord and Savior of your life, today is your day. Every single person in this room, we have one thing in common. And we're all sinners and we've all fallen short. The book of Romans says that we've all fallen short. I fall short daily. But God sent a sin bearer for us. His name is Jesus. And he came to pay the price for my sin, for your sin to take it upon himself. It doesn't mean we become perfect. It just means we become forgiven. Today, he wants to forgive you of your sin. But not only does he want to be your savior, he wants to be your Lord too. Lord means boss, means ruler. You have to invite him in to your chariot. Nobody looking at me today. I'm going to pray with you right where you are and say, Pastor Nick, that's me. I want to invite Jesus into my life. I need him as my Lord and Savior. I need him to forgive my sins. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you right where you are in your seat. Raise your hand very high. Thank you. I see hands. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Very good. In the balcony, thank you. Eight. Thank you, thank you. Church, this morning, we're going to pray with people that have raised their hand. This is their next step. They're going to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Can we all just pray this together? There's nothing special about this prayer, just a condition of your heart when you pray. Thank you. I see that hand. Would you say this with me? Dear Lord Jesus. Would you forgive me? Forgive me of my sins. Would you remove my shame and my guilt? Would you come into my life? Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. And today, I make a decision to follow you, to follow your word, to follow your spirit, and live accordingly. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.